Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm 23. Uh, we will hang out there this morning. Uh, and as you're flipping there, just got a few announcements. First of all, if you're a guest with us here this morning, thank you for choosing to worship with us. We do hope that you enjoy your time here. Uh, you should have got uh, one of these when you came in. If not, there should be some more back there. Uh, just some information what's going on in the church. But also on the bottom, there's a little perforated tear-off section. If you would, just fill out that. You can drop it in the giving boxes on the back. That's just a way for us to know how to get to know you and, and help out any way we can if you have any questions about the church or anything like that. Uh, also, uh, this morning, uh, I want to remind you on uh, February, sorry, fe- February, where did that come from? Uh, sometimes I'm trying to read and talk at the same time, and anyway, uh, July the 23rd at 5 p.m. is our family meeting as a church where we will uh, talk about a few things that are going on in the church, but also hear from the Next Point team about just kind of where we are, and and, and you'll hear some other things in regards to that. Uh, Speaking of the the Next Point and the building stuff, there is, uh, we mentioned last week, a fundraiser on July 27th. Uh, It's a fundraising event, painting with Adam Trest and the Y in downtown, the uh, there's some sheets out in the foyer, flyers out in the foyer. Please feel free to grab those and take them and spread them out. I've seen many of you share it on social media. That's the best way to get it out. Uh, and so uh, just please help us. Uh, and it's limited to 100 participants. And so we need to fill up all 100 of them and even have a waiting list. Would be awesome. Uh, but anyway, so please help us out there. Uh, lastly, uh, on uh, the 9th at 2 p.m., we're having a baby shower for from Madeline Holloway. Uh, they're expecting a baby boy. Uh, she's registered at Amazon, and so if you can, please make plans to be here for that. I think that's all my announcements. Psalm 23. Uh, this week, uh, whenever I, or I guess actually last week, when I, obviously we know what psalm we're reading corporately every week because we just go to the next one, uh, but as I was reading through what this Sunday would look like, and as we're reading today, we're going to read Psalm 23 as a church. I began to think, I don't know if I've ever heard a preacher preach Psalm 23 on Sunday morning. Uh, I know I have never. And I got to think, I was like, I've only ever heard it at like a gravesides. And so anyway, I was like, let's give it a whirl. And so this morning, we're going to walk through Psalm 23, not at a funeral, uh, not at a, not at a, in a graveyard. And so uh, I hope that as we walk through it, uh, what we see, we usually use this psalm at a hospital bed to comfort one who's dying or uh, even encourage a family who's walking through that. But I want you to see now is that this, this psalm isn't just for the dying, it's for the living. Uh, that is for me and you to understand what it means to have Christ as our shepherd. Like it's an unbelievable joy and benefit to have the sovereign of the universe be the very shepherd who leads and guides and directs and protects and provides for. And there's much freedom Uh, in the fact that if we would just be sheep of his fold, uh, if we would stop trying to run to other pastures and just let Christ be our shepherd, how much provision we actually have in our lives and how much peace there is to be experienced and how much joy there is to be had if we would just be shepherd or sheep of his fold. And so anyway, Psalm 23, uh, I'm not going to reread it. We're pretty familiar with it. And, uh, and so, what I understand in Psalm 23 is that uh, the sheep are not the focus of the psalm. It's the shepherd. Uh, it's what he's doing for the sheep. And so in regards to the psalm, we're looking at it and understanding 
not what it means to be a Christian, but for Christ to be a shepherd uh, and what that, how that applies to our life. And what's important is that even before we get started, actually, I'll give you the title, and it's also the four points. The title of this, The Shepherd, the Table, the Cup, and the House. Uh, and so that's the four points which we'll walk through in the six verses, the shepherd, the table, the cup, and the house. But before, before we get there, I think it's important for us to see where Psalm 23 is positioned in the Psalter. It comes right after Psalm 22, where it's the picture of the cross and uh, where we see verses that we even looked at this Easter where he is, uh, the, his enemies are encompassing him like dogs. It's the picture of a cross. And this is why I want to say we can say, Psalm 23:1, the Lord is my shepherd, because the shepherd said in Psalm 22:1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we understand that the Psalm 23 is the result of Psalm 22, ultimately in our life, is that the shepherd came and he laid down his life for his sheep. Uh, he, he cried out, why have you forsaken me? He was encompassed by his enemies that he, he poured out his life so that you and I can live in the reality of Psalm 23 that we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. And I would say this, and I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit, that we use this. I've heard people who are not believers use this. What I want to make especially clear this morning is that Psalm 23 is for those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. The promises of Scripture that find their yes and amen in Christ are for those who have trusted in Jesus. And not every promise is universal to all people, that the idea of having the Lord as a shepherd is for those who have trusted in Christ. But also about Psalm 23 is that it could teach us to look upward and forward to future grace. Uh, the older I get, the more, and I've talked to a couple of people about it, the older I get, the more my mind, it's also because people I listen to and read, the more my mind focuses, tries to focus on the future grace that we're going to experience. Right? A lot of our life is built on what I have experienced. Like we Obviously, we think about that and what God's doing in my life now. But, man, there's a future grace that is way more measurably great than what we even experience now. And there's that hope of that future grace that gives feet to our obedience in the current. That there's a future grace to be experienced. And so what we'll see through the psalm is that we go from here on earth to the house of the Lord forever. And I think then that when he gets to the house of the Lord forever, it helps him interpret the whole life that he just lived. That whenever we are in his presence forevermore, it makes sense of life. Right now, we may not understand it, but one day when we get and we're, we're in the house of the Lord forever, we will look back and go, man, he, he led me beside still waters. He, led, he made me lie down in green pastures. And even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he did not leave me. And so there's a forward thinking in Psalm 23, not just in a current. And I think it would be a healthy discipline for me and you to develop an, an ability to look to future grace, to think about heaven more, not just here, but think about heaven more and what the Lord has promised he's going to do. Because no matter what happens to me here, it fails in comparison to what I will experience then. And so future grace will empower us to have current obedience and current joy Oftentimes. So we see that in Psalm 23. So anyway, if you're taking notes, number one is the shepherd. Uh, it says in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
We can just pause there for a moment. Who is he? This is David, and some think he may have wrote it whenever he was actually a shepherd, and some people think he, like literally some people think he may have been sitting in a pasture, leaning up against a tree, looking at a sheep, writing this, and just writing this beautiful song unto the Lord. Or it could be when he was older, and he's thinking back. But either way, he's as his mind is in the pasture. But notice he says that the Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that a crazy thought that the infinite of the universe would assume the role of a shepherd to people? Like, he, he, like think about a shepherd is that a, a shepherd knows his job. A good shepherd knows the job of the shepherd, but he also knows the needs of the sheep. And the very sovereign of the universe is the one that we call our shepherd. Another way to use the word shepherd is our keeper. Like the one who keeps our life is the very sovereign of the universe, right? That's an, it's a, what does that even mean? Like, how does that even come to be, right? Obviously, we know through the cross, but I think it's, it'd be important for us to read John chapter 10, uh, where Jesus himself really gives clarity to how he becomes our shepherd and what it means to be sheep of his fold. John chapter 10, it's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read 18 verses, so just bear with me. But this is one that I want just for, for Jesus to teach what it means for him to be our shepherd and how we've come to shepherd. Cool? I'm not going to say it. He's going to say it. All right, here we go. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Man, that's a beautiful picture where he, he, he came in through the gate. Anyway, to him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. So this is what it means to be shepherd, a sheep of his fold. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of, the str- of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, this is the figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. We are all there, and I'm thankful oftentimes Jesus will explain what's going on. And so, anyway, so Jesus again said to them, let's make it a little clear. He says, truly, truly, as in, listen, this is the truth. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that I may, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He uh, who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, see the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees the wolf and snatches them. Paul's from I want you to see the... The intensity in which the shepherd keeps the sheep. And here it is. I want you to read it again. It says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. Catch that. The shepherd, the sheep that he was shepherding, owned those sheep. As in he paid a price for them, so therefore he's going to protect them. If, if he hadn't protected, if he hasn't bought them, he has no value in protecting them. He's fleeing is what he's saying here. That's, that's a beautiful picture as the Lord is our shepherd. And also teaches us something about being his sheep. But anyway, uh, sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing about the sheep or for the sheep. 
But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I laid down my life for the sheep. And I have other, here's the good news for me and you. Here he's talking to a Jewish context, and so now he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So there are other sheep that are going to be part of my fold that are not Jewish. They're outside of this fold, so that's me and you should go, thank you for not stopping there. I have other sheep that are not part of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Check this out. So there will be one flock with one shepherd. Man, that's gospel good news and truth right there. Uh, No one takes it. Sorry. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. So in John chapter 10, it's very clear what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. As in he has purchased us. And he will, obviously, he gave his life. That's how he purchased us. And it is his duty as our shepherd to protect, provide. And it is is that way because he paid a high price to purchase us. So what we see in John 10 is that sheep are an object of property bought with a great price. So this is a little side point is that what you need to know to be, for the Lord to be our shepherd is that we belong to him. That he has purchased us by laying his life down. So when we start Psalm 23, there's the, makes it exclusive there, is that it's, it's only for those who Christ has purchased and, and saved and redeemed. And what this psalm teaches us is that it's the great benefit of being sheep of his fold, that ultimately in life, through death, and for all of eternity, the great, there's a great delight of being sheep of his fold. And that's how Psalm 23 lays out. It says, my. And it also indicates that sheep are very dependent creatures. They're dumb. And I thought about how can I explain that. And so I need you to direct your attention to uh, the screen because it's a short video. And you may have seen this before. But this is what the Lord likens us to. Play this, Bo. That's what we're liking to. <clears throat> and for a lot of you, that hit home. And so what I've come to understand, if I'm likened as a sheep, that means I'm dumb. I'm dependent upon a shepherd who knows the pastures, who knows where harm is and where danger is, who's strong enough to fight off any lion or bear, right? And when we think about the Christian life, oftentimes we forfeit a lot of power in our life and joy in our life because we're not satisfied with the with the grass of his pasture that we will seek to jump the fence to find satisfaction somewhere else did you see that sheep right there we're not wired to find it but Christ laying down his life, now calling us into his fold. Yes, he has set parameters and fences, if you will, just like a shepherd would. 
What did, they, what did he say? The shepherd goes before the sheep in John chapter 10. Let me tell you what a shepherd would do. A shepherd would put his sheep in a protected area where they could not get out. Nothing could get in. And then he would go before the sheep. And when he would go before the sheep, he would look at places where there would be green pastures that they could lie down. Where there was no harm coming their way. That they could actually eat and be nourished. And he would go, and well, this is the place that is pretty steep. And if, if they come here, they're going to fall off here. And he would, he would know, he would mark out places where there was maybe their uh, predators were. So that whenever he went back to them, he had already set parameters on which he was going to lead them. And if they just stay in those parameters, they're going to be nourished, they're going to be fed, they're going to be healthy, they're going to keep walking, and everything's going to be okay for them if they just follow the shepherd's boundaries, if you will. Everybody with me? But what we tend to do is go, that ain't cool enough, whatever, I'm going to jump over here. And we find ourselves in a cliff, in the bottom of a cliff. We find ourselves spiritually starved where Lord has provided a green pasture called his word. So, what I want you to see in this text is the benefits of being sheep in his fold. The here and now and the hereafter. So, what we see from the text, number one, is that the shepherd satisfies. This is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is the very John chapter 4, as in you'll never thirst again. As in, some trust in chariots, some trust in swords, some trust in bank accounts, some trust in lifestyle, some trust in spouses, some trust in their career, some trust in this. But the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Somebody may say, well, finances, it is my, it is my shepherd, it is my keeper. It will, it will not want what we're always wanting, but the psalmist says the Lord is my shepherd. He satisfies every desire, and he will always satisfy, and I will never want for anything. The Lord satisfies. The second thing that we see is that the shepherd gives peace and provision. Look at 1B. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. There's a, there's a picture here of peace, this lying down. Right? If you see sheep that are lying down, what they're, they're at peace. There's not enemies coming to, they're at a safe place, if you will. And the Lord leads us to lie down in green pastures, not bearing pastures, but pastures that are green, that are vibrant, that we can lie down in and be nourished. He, he leads and he provides. It says that the shepherd leads us to rest. You see that? where they're lying down in green pastures and they're leading beside still waters. It's a beautiful picture that the Lord is leading his sheep to peace, to provision. He is satisfying them. And I begin to ask the question because we're not in the Middle East anywhere where we can see these barren lands and all of a sudden there'll be a green pasture. Where, where is the green pasture for the believer? Where, are the, where is the green pasture that we find peace that we find nourishment, where is the, the still waters that we find rest? He has given us green pastures in his word. Like this is, his, this is the green pasture for the believer. This is where we go and we find peace, where we find provision, that we can go to his word and eat of it and be nourished. The shepherd has led, he leads us to his word. 
Man, it's a beautiful thing to have Christ, the Lord Jesus, as our shepherd, and he has given us his word that whenever life is whatever life is, that we have a place that we can go and our very souls will be fed. In a starved world that we can go to a place and our very spirits will have abundant in food and nourishment. He, he gives us green pastures that whenever, how does it give us peace? Is whenever life is unraveling and there's whatever is going on around us. And when I say that, you think of whatever it is for you, that we can go to a place that his promises were reminded that he is, he is greater than anything that's against me, that there is a future grace, that there is things that he has promised to you and I to find their yes and amen in our very shepherd himself, that even no matter what's going around me, I can go to the green pasture, I can go to the still waters and find peace for my weary soul. Thanks be to God for his word, y'all. This isn't some old book that just we come to one, one time a week to hear this guy who's studied all week to talk about it. No, this is the very, I believe, the green pastures and the still waters. Because the nations rage and the, it goes, but the word of the Lord, it, what, it remains forever. The shepherd gives peace and provision. The shepherd leads to rest in, in paths of righteousness. Look at that. He leads me beside still waters. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing, this peace. This, you imagine still waters and you think about most of the time when you see water in the New Testament and the scriptures and old, in, in the Bible itself, it's, it's like raging and it's, it's, it's crazy unless you get to heaven and it's like a sea like glass. And there's a, there's a difference between the turmoil of the world and the peace of heaven. And you see even how the Bible images water. And here you think, about, you think about an ocean raging and a river roaring. And here he says, still waters. He leads me beside peace, right? You follow me? He leads me. And how does he lead me? He leads me through his word. That it is possible that the world could be as crazy as it is. And by the work of the Spirit and in tandem with the word, that I can have peace deep within my soul. How? If I follow the shepherd where he's leading, and he's always leading us here. He leads, and this is a great cool thing. He says he leads me, not just to peace, y'all, but well, look here. He leads me in paths of righteousness, which means I'm walking in righteousness. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but the same guy that leads us to the peace that we all want is the same guy that's going to lead us to walk in an upright life. Can't have one without the other. He's leading us because if we're in, he's leading us to this, it will produce both of those. So he leads us in righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. That all of this shepherding, all of this protecting, all this providing, all this peace and rest is for his name's sake for the glory of the shepherd. It's for the glory of his name. It's what it's headed towards. But it doesn't end there. I'm going to move forward. The shepherd also restores. Look at verse 3a. He restores my soul. This isn't like the restoration we think about. This is literally the picture of a, a, a weary soul comes to him and finds 
rejuvenation and restoration in the hands of the shepherd, that he takes the sheep that has been weary. Maybe he got left off from the pack, and he's went through places that he wouldn't, shouldn't have went through, and he, he, he gave himself ultimately more of an uphill climb than he should have. And he makes his way back to the fold, and the shepherd takes him, and he, he refreshes him. He rejuvenates. He restores him. That's the picture here is that when we are weary and we're tired and we're beat up, burned out, rather by just the hand we've been dealt or our own mistakes, the shepherd will restore us. He doesn't say, oh, you ran over there, I'm kicking you out of my fold. He restores. Next, the shepherd never leaves us. You look at verse 4. I've shared that if I've done a funeral for your family member of yours and there's a chance that I've shared this. It's one of the most encouraging things that I think I can, we can give families, definitely who people who have lost loved ones who have been sick, uh, is this. It says, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The shepherd never leaves his sheep. And how that applies is this. It's a beautiful thing. Is that if you've had to, or if you will have to one day, walk with a family member through sickness that's maybe drawn out, maybe it's rough, or maybe it's quick, but you still, they, like, you knew that death was coming. There's going to come a point that you can only, you and I can only walk with that family member a certain, to a certain point. You with me? Like, we can walk with them up until the final breath, but at that point, we can't go any further. Here's what Psalm 23 teaches, that our Lord Jesus, our shepherd, he walks with us from this life to the next. He never leaves his sheep. Family can only go to a certain point, but our shepherd walks with us even through, the, even through death. Y'all, like, that's a, an incredible picture to say the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm not going to want, why? Because he's going to He's going, to lead, he's going to satisfy. He's going to provide. He's going to lead me to rest and peace. He's going to lead me, and that doesn't mean ease, but he's going to lead me to peace and rest, green pastures. He's going, he's going to lead me in a path of righteousness, and he's going to restore when I'm weary and I'm messed up. But one day when his life is over, he's going to escort me from here to there. Like He doesn't leave me. <laughs> like, man, that's... That's encouraging, and maybe that encourage you maybe this morning, and you think about a loved one that hit the shepherd never leaves his sheep. Lastly, we see in verse 4b that the shepherd protects, disciplines, and heals. Verse, end of verse 4, it says, You're a rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod and the staff were used for ultimately the three things that I just mentioned. He protects, he disciplines, he heals. Sometimes that very staff or that rod was used to fight off bears and lions, right? And we see that our shepherd fights off bears and lions. He protects us probably a whole lot more than we ever even imagine, I believe. He protects. But with the same staff, we understand that if a sheep was running off, how would it get him? He'd pop him with that same rod, discipline to, to move him back into the fold. But then he did something else with the rods. He had a hook, and you've probably heard me use this before, that when sheep would come, they'd been out in pasture. When they would come into the fold at night or to the safe place, they one by one, 
because the sheep knew his voice, he would come in and he would stand at the gate because he is what he is the door, as we see in John chapter 10. The, the, the shepherd would stand there with his little shepherd, shepherd staff, and as the sheep would come in, he would hook around the sheep's neck and lift their head up. And what he would do is he would look on top of their head for any sores or, for, or any, any injuries. And what he would do is he would take oil and he would anoint it, kind of like a neosporin, if you will. That he would take. So here's the picture. The same tool the shepherd uses is used to protect, discipline, and heal. That's <laughs> it's a beautiful picture. 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11 say it like this. And after you have suffered a little while, after you've been in pastures for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the picture of the staff and the healing. Our shepherd one day will heal every wound, right every wrong. Right, you see that picture. That's what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. Anybody thankful that we can cry out in Jesus' name that the Lord is my shepherd? The second thing that we see is that there's a table in Psalm 23. Look at verse 5a. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I began to think through this verse and like, why are enemies at the table? Like, who, who invites enemies at the table? Like, anyway, so I, I spent time trying to walk through that. And anyway... What I want you to see about this table, and for us in New Testament world, it is the Lord's table here that we're speaking of. It's the, it's the Lord's Supper table that he's preparing a table before, uh, in the, he, before me in the presence of my enemy. First of all, I want you to see this, and there's a transition from, verses four, from verse 4 to verse 5, and really we're not seeing a sheep anymore, more friends, right? So you begin to think about how are sheep sitting at a table? Right, uh, and so if you don't, if you'll literally, that's how my mind works. It's like, David switched up on me here, and I don't get it. Is this some kind of imagery that I'm not getting? But what we're seeing, we're seeing a transition in thought that verses 1 through 4 is shepherd, and here we're seeing what it means to be a friend, to be invited, if you will, to be sons and daughters. And so we see, first of all, that it is he who prepares and invites. There's a table in Psalm 23, and it is the Lord who is the shepherd, but also the friend of those who have placed their faith. It is the, the, the bridegroom, if you will, the, the Lord of all the universe, that he prepares and invites us to a table. Three things about this, what it gives pictures there, that you see there's this intimacy here between the Lord and those who are his, that he has prepared a table. I'm not, I'm not trying to romanticize Jesus right now, but there is a firm affection that he has for his bride. And he invites her as if he is setting a table to come and dine with him. There's an intimacy in which we see in a relationship with Jesus and those who are his. There's a table that he has set, and he's invited us. And he's, uh, you even see it here that, uh, what does he say? That you anoint my head with oil. This is different than, I saw this this week, this is different than the oil that the shepherd would use. This is another oil. This is like when we're sitting at a dinner table, the person who would be anointed with the oil would be the person who was of high value, who is distinguished, if you will. And so the imagery here that Dave is giving of being invited to the table is that the Lord in his lavish love for us has anointed our head with oil and he's given value to us, that he sees us as valuable. 
Not in anything of us. Like, don't get ahead of yourself and think, I know, who wouldn't love me? He loves you because of the price he paid for you. First of all, you're, you're, you're created in his image, so you have value there. But his deep love for you is the cost in which it cost him to purchase us. So we're invited. His intimacy that we have with this Jesus, he isn't just some this far-off historical figure, but he's alive and active in the lives of those who have placed their faith in him. That you and I, and, we, and not that we, we're actually at Crosspoint trying to move away from individualism to more corporate aspect of church. We are family. Not everything for, in church world for the past 25 years has been about the individual experience where Christianity, yes, in one sense it is, but it's a corporate experience. It's a family, but there is the reality that there is an intimate personal relationship with the Lord of all the universe, that he walks with me and he talks with me, that he leads me, not just leads us, but he leads me. So there is a personal relationship element to this. And there's intimacy there. Second is that I think there's victory. I think that's why the enemies are there. The enemies are being reminded of their defeat. Right? Why else would you invite an enemy to sit at the table other than a reconcile? We're not seeing that. What does he say? You, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As in there's a picture that the enemies are there to be reminded that they've been defeated. So this, this table that we're, we're brought to, there's the intimacy, but there's a victory that we're reminded of, even in the presence of the enemies that he is providing. And then the third thing we see about this table is that there's loyalty. And I'm about to bring it to New Testament in just a minute. Just follow up. Some of you are already there with me. There's loyalty. If you read through the Old Testament, like go to, I'm not going to do it for you, but with Jacob and Laban, when they come to agreement, you know what they do? They sit down and they eat with one another. There's a way of ratifying covenants. In Exodus 24, 1 through 11, when God calls Moses and the elders up to the top of the mountain, and, he, he, and Moses takes blood and throws it all over them and says, now this is the covenant. You know what they did? He says they saw the Lord and they ate and they drank. Uh, eating together is a way, obviously there was the crazy thing with Abraham where there was like animals torn in two and somebody would walk through it and stuff like that. There's, we see that, but the, the, many times they would sit down and eat. It was a, a covenantal meal, if you will. The idea of the Lord's Supper being a sign of the covenant was not new if itself. It was something that they would do to ratify a covenant. Obviously, what he taught and what he brought forward was new, but we see that ultimately at this table, whenever the Lord's table specifically is that and we see that we're intimately invited to know the Lord, that there is victory that has been won because of the Lord, and that through this table that he's invited us to, we see that he, has, he is loyal, that he's committed himself through the covenant to be this for us. So what that means for me and you is that this is what a covenant meal is. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, right, when we take it to the Lord's Supper, when we come to the table, first of all, we remember what? That he's prepared, that he's invited us to it. It's not a meal that man came up with. It's something that he invited us to. And we come, first of all, we see that he's invited us to know him as our Lord and Savior. We come and we see the victory that we, he has afforded to us by the defeat of our enemies, who even there will be for all of eternity reminded of their defeat. 
But when we come and we take it to the Lord, the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the covenant that he says that is written in his blood, and he's forever loyal to that covenant. He does not break it. Which means he will keep you with every ounce of the power of the Godhead. What did Paul tell the Ephesians? He, that we, he prayed that our eyes be open to that, that, that the power that is directed towards us. That's the imagery here of God's loyalty to finishing what he started. Next, there's a cup. We got a table and there's a cup. Look at 5B here. It says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Man, it's a beautiful picture that, like, not only in this idea of a cup, is that as if it represented my needs and my, my joy, everything that my cup, not only is it full, but it's, it's overflowing. I remember at Salem, when I was at Salem Heights, interning, Brother Troy would always say, my cup runneth over. And it, it's that picture is that it's the picture of not only in knowing the Lord is my, like my, it's like my joy is over. It's not just, it's like overflowing. And, and I wrote it like this, that uh, he gives generously and abundantly more than enough. But the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want because he is constantly giving. But here's the question that I asked. What's the purpose of it overflowing? Is it just for me to walk around and say, man, I've got joy in the Lord and I can't contain it. I'm walking on sunshine in my relationship with the Lord. It's the best thing ever. Why would it overflow so that it can make it to somebody else? He's blessed us to what? To be a blessing. I wrote somebody's quote. I couldn't find who it was, but it's going to come on the screen. The showers that fall upon the highest mountain should glide into the lowest valleys. That's the picture that our cup overflows. Why? Why is he leading us in paths of righteousness? For what? His name's sake. Why is he filling up our cup? For his name's sake. Lastly, there is a house. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, that should be the longing of all of our hearts, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I, I, this is the first time I noticed this, but it says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So every day that I'm living, goodness and mercy are going to be there. When I'm not living, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> like that's, a, that's a beautiful picture of to, to be his and to be kept by him. Is that ultimately say like this, that uh, actually I don't remember how I wrote it, but how did I write it on there? Uh, goodness and mercy accompany us to the house of the Lord. That's how I wrote it down. Like From the moment we place our faith in Jesus, the goodness and mercy are going to follow us and accompany us until we get to the house of the Lord. And it's going to be incredible. Obviously, I'm speaking of not this house of the Lord, like heaven. Goodness, you think about goodness as in the goodness of God for the child of God. The goodness is the provider, the one who's, who's going to equip us and provide and sustain us. The goodness of God will accompany us our whole life. It will follow us the rest of our life. But it says in mercy, the idea of forgiveness is in both are working together to get us there. And when we get there, man, life will make sense. The hills and the valleys, the, the wandering, the struggles, we'll be able to look back and 
see what our good shepherd has done, and through the table of the Lord has preserved us and brought us into the family. And now, here's a great thing. You ever went somewhere and you felt like you worn out your welcome? You've been asked to leave? Like, you can go home? Not once will we hear that from him. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so, Psalm 23 helps us set our eyes on dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, right? And in the meantime, we know that we have a shepherd who's walking with us day in and day out, right? Green pasture, still waters, he's leading me. If I just take up his joke and follow him, doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect or life's going to be easy, but I will have peace in the midst of chaos. I'll have hope in the midst of uncertainty. A life will be lived for something greater than myself, but for his name's sake. And then each week or each month as the church, we're going to come in and physically we're going to go to the Lord's table and we're going to be reminded intimately that he's called us to himself, that there's victory over Satan, death, hell, and the grave. And then there is a commitment that he's made to us that the one who started to work in us will listen to me. He will get us to the, his house and we'll spend there, be there forever. That's how Psalm 23 applies to the living. Amen? I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe this whole thing that the Lord being your shepherd is like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. You can know him. John 10 that we started with, that the, ultimately that the shepherd is about going out and reaching those sheep that are not a part of the fold yet. As in, they haven't placed their faith in him. They haven't been saved, born again, as words we use. And maybe inside your life, Maybe you're looking around and going, I have no peace. I have zero joy in my life. And here I'm not talking about happiness, y'all, but I have, I have no peace. I have no joy. I have no purpose. I feel like I'm just waiting. I'm here, and life is about living, dying, and a cycle keeps going. I want to, you to know that there is peace to be found. The very peace that your heart longs for, even if you can articulate it or not, is found in Christ Jesus. The very purpose you were put on this earth for can only be experienced and maximized in and through Christ Jesus. Whether that purpose is you want to go to what you do for a living or what it means to be a father or a mother or a husband and a wife, we we may give good attempts at it, but in Christ Jesus, you can find the actual purpose for being here on this earth. How is that so? Because this shepherd that's protecting wants to not protect himself. He laid down his life so that you and I, what he said, have life and have life abundantly. Would you trust in that Jesus this morning? Would you call out, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know that peace and that purpose. I'm going to be standing down front down here if you need to talk afterwards, if you need to pray, if you need to come down forward and pray, whatever you need to do. I'm going to pray, and Michael and Donner can come leads. By the way, isn't it awesome to have just 
church families that can come up and lead us. I think next week the Campbells or Luke and JJ are going to lead us too. And so it's just nice for the Lord has blessed us, uh, not just with staff, but church members who can minister to the body. So anyway, Michael and Don, you make your way up. I'm going to pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for Psalm 23 that isn't just for the dying, but for the living. God, that we can look at it and see that what you do, what great benefit you've afforded to us by calling us to be sheep of your fold. May we not be dumb sheep who run to other pastures to seek the only thing that your pasture can provide. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who has not trusted in Jesus as their Savior, they know in their life there's no peace, no joy. God, that you would call them to yourself and that your Holy Spirit would make them new, that they would call out to you. God, be with this time. We thank you for an opportunity to gather, to worship, to respond to your word through whether prayer or just sitting where we are and meditating or even if we need to sing these songs, that it's a response to what you've done in the teaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.